0: Hey, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Tree of Life Church podcast. It's our prayer that these messages help connect you to the life, love, and power of Jesus. Thank you so much. It's always important to me, since uh, I do go back longer than most of you have ever come to this church, uh, to let Don know that I love him, his dad loves him, that I'm proud of him and his dad's proud of him. And I want you to know that so very, very much. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we come before you today, Lord, we just ask for your help and your assistance. We thank you that you are going to speak to us. You're gonna to minister to us. You're gonna give life to us. We thank you that you're gonna take the word of God, and you're gonna make it alive, and you're gonna make it personal, and you're gonna make it practical. And so, Lord, today, take the word of truth. Begin to... Uh, Let it sink in our hearts so it begins to fulfill our lives in Jesus' name, amen. I want to take a few moments, and what I want to do is I want to talk to you about it's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse uh, 1, it says, and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a scroll written within and on the back side sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the scroll, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the scroll, neither to look thereon. You know, it's very interesting that as Jesus began to talk about the conclusion of this world, he said three things are going to happen. That as this world begins to come to an end, three things would happen. Number one, there would be more problems and there would be less faith. There would be more problems and there would be less faith. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 8, it says it this way. It says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? on this earth. To be honest with you, that was one of those Bible verses that troubled me. I thought, how in the world could that ever be? How in the world could we ever have a verse that would say, when Jesus comes back, will there be faith on this earth? Just think of all the churches that exist. If you drive from San Antonio to here, you're passing a church every quarter of a mile, If you turn on the TV, you can see all the church you want. You go on the internet, you can have all the church that you want. And I'm thinking, of course there would be faith. You've got all these churches preaching faith. You've got all these shows on TV preaching faith. You've got all of these podcasts out there teaching faith. And I never could get that verse. It really never made sense to me. It was never a verse that I could really resonate with until the last 27 months. For the first time, I watched people of faith give up their faith. I watched people of faith in the name of wisdom quit being people of faith. I watched people in my church that uh, had been people who had taught on faith that no longer came to church, were no longer active in church, were no longer involved in church, and then it hit me. If you create a problem in our society, and you talk about that problem continually, and you talk about that problem regularly, and you begin to feed that problem, and you make it on every newscast, you make it on every internet, Uh, exchange, you make it on every podcast and you just build it and you build it and you'll build it. You will take people who were people of faith and you will convince them not to act like they have faith. And so I've watched it. I've watched it in my church. I've watched it as I've traveled all over this nation. I've watched people of faith give up their faith in the name of wisdom. And let me just say it to you politely. If you find faith to be easy right now, you don't have faith. If you're not fighting for your faith, you have no faith. If you think walking in here and finding the back row of this church is faith, that's not faith. If you're not every day having to struggle with your faith, You don't have faith because right now, faith means that you are swimming against the current. You are beginning to uh, sail into the wind. You are going against what is politically popular, what is naturally popular, what society wants. You are going against it to be a person of faith. But Jesus said that when he comes back, will he find faith on the earth? And for the first time I saw it, I watched people give up their faith in the name of a problem. And I said, God, I get it. Create a problem, talk about it, repeat it continually, and people who say they believe will act no different than people who do not believe. The second thing that Jesus said is this world begins to come back is that there will be more anger and there will be less love more anger and less love. In Matthew 24 and verse 12, it puts it this way. It says, the love of many will grow cold. It says, as he begins to return, he says that there's gonna be more anger and there's gonna be less love. There are gonna be more people mad at things and less people who care about things. There will be more people who will be consumed with issues of anger. Now, you got to understand something. You can look at me. This isn't my first rodeo. I've stood behind pulpits for 44 years. But can I tell you something that's happened over the last 15? I stand at the back of my church, and when I stand at the back of my church, people walk by. 15 years ago, when I would stand at the back of my church, I would stand there, and people would ask questions like this. They would say, can you tell us your tenets of faith? Basically what we believed. I would sit there and I would go over our basic doctrines. In 15 years, no one has asked me our tenets of faith. You know what? They've asked me my political opinion. They asked me an opinion about this. They'll ask me an opinion about that. And you know what I found out about church? If I'll be mad at what they're mad at, they'll come to my church. And if I will be as mad at it as they're mad at it, they'll keep coming to my church. But if I won't be mad, they're not coming to church. Because church ceased to be about the love of God, it began to be about being angry at something. I gotta be mad at this, I gotta be mad at this, I gotta be mad at this, and now I have a little answer that I tell people when they ask me certain things, and I can tell they want me to be mad. I look at them and I said, I have my own anger issues, I can't take on yours. I have enough of my own life to be mad. I don't need you're mad. But Jesus said, in the last days, if you want to know what they look like, if you want to know at the end of the world, there'll be more problems and there'll be less faith. There will be more anger and there will be less love. And then thirdly, he said, there will be more disasters and less hope. More disasters and less hope. In Matthew 24, and verse 7, he talks about how in this world that you will hear of this war and that war and you will hear of this famine and that famine and you will hear of this disaster and you will hear of that disaster and he says that this will be a sign of the beginning. So right now, we live in a world where we can ask ourselves the question. Is this the end of the world as we know it? Jesus gave three markers. More problems, less faith. More anger, less love. More disasters, less hope. I don't know if we're at the end of the world. People ask me, they say, well, is this the last generation? What I know is, it's your last generation. You don't get to. This is it. But what I also know is this, that as we head towards this, it may not be the end of the world, but it is the end of the world as we know it. Now, in Revelation chapter 5, we see this dramatic scene. It's almost like a made-for-movie kind of scene that is choreographed. You see the throne room of God. You see God sitting on the throne. You see a giant angel. They call it a strong angel. To be honest with you, I didn't know there were weak angels. But it says a strong angel is flying back and forth. And as this angel is flying back and forth, it's saying, who is worthy? The elders, those that have preceded us in faith, are bowing before the throne. They're taking off their crowns, all their achievements and their putting putting him before the throne. In the midst of this, you begin to hear the worship of heaven. You begin to hear people beginning to ask one question, who is worthy? Who is worthy? But over to the side in the back, you see John, the last of the apostles, and he's over there and he's crying. And he is crying and weeping and weeping and crying. And he is in tears just as he watches this, as he hears the angel begin to ask the question, as he begins to respond to the moment and sees the elders and he sees the throne of God and he sees what's going on. But in the middle of this entire scene, the focus of it is what's in God's hand. Because it says that there's a scroll. And it says that that God's holding that scroll. And as he holds on to that scroll, the angel's saying, can anyone open it? Is there anyone in heaven? Is there anyone in earth? Is there anyone under earth that is worthy to open this? And everything is centered. Now, if you do what I do for a living, you understand this. God doesn't waste words. If he repeats himself... It is because he is trying to put an exclamation point on something. But what you have in Revelation chapter 5 is this. Eight times in nine verses, you hear the scroll mentioned. Eight times he says the scroll, the scroll, the scroll, the scroll, the scroll. Everything's about it. What John's weeping about is the scroll. What the angels are uh, talking about is the scroll. What the elders are bowing before it involves the scroll. What the Father God is holding involves the scroll. So if this scroll is the center of attention, then what is it? What is it that God's holding in his hand? What is it that the angel's talking about? What is it that John's crying about? What is the scroll? Well, to put it in simple terms, the scroll is the title deed to this thing we call planet Earth. It is the title deed. See, many of you have bought property before and you've gone to a closing You sit down at a table and you sign document after document, but eventually you will get to the place that they will put one document in front of you and it will be the title. It can be the title to the car, it can be the title uh, to the home, it can be the title to the land, but they will put it in front of you and you will sign it. It is the title deed. It distinguishes who is the owner. Who is the owner? And what God is holding in his hand is the title deed to the earth In Psalm 24 and verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 26, it mentions it again. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, why is this scroll so important? Why is John crying about it? Why is the angel asking about it? Why does it need to be opened? See, when God created this world... He created this world perfect. There was no flaw in it. There was no disaster in it. There were no storms that devastated people's homes. There were no tidal waves that changed the coastline. There were no tornadoes. There were no hurricanes. There were no lightning events. It was created perfect. But when God created this earth, he sat down with a man named Adam. Adam. And he said, Adam, I have this dream. I want you to take this earth and I want you to begin to replenish it. I want this earth to be reflective of my will that I've created in the garden and I want you to take it all over this world. And he looked at Adam and what he did was he leased it to him. Now, many of you know what a lease is. You've leased a car. You've leased an apartment. You've leased a home. You've leased something. Now, when you lease something, it doesn't mean you own it. It just means for a period of time, you get to use it as though you own it. And so you're in that apartment, and you're in that apartment for a year, and you get to let that be your home. But you know that when that lease is up, it goes back to the owner. You know when that car leases up, it's going to go back to the dealer. You know that when that land lease is up, that it's going to go back to the original owner at that. But when God entered into this lease with Adam, what God did was this. He said, Adam, everything in this world is yours. You have all the authority of everything in the sky, everything in the sea, everything under the sea. You have authority over it. That's what it says in Genesis chapter one. You have authority over everything on the land, every creeping thing, every fowl, over fish. You have authority over everything. And he said, it's all yours. I'm leasing it to you. But there's one thing, just one thing. It's mine. Just one thing. There's one tree you leave that tree alone. Now imagine that God gives you this world in pristine condition. And everything in it, you have access to. You have total authority to do what you want. You can see all the forests, you can see all the oceans, you can see the beauty above, you can see the magnificence all around you, everything, and God just says one thing, just one thing. But everything else is yours. But what Adam did was Adam did the one thing. And when he did the one thing, it changed everything. Because some of you who are in business, you know that sometimes you can enter into a lease where you have the right to sublease. And what a sublease is, is I might lease a warehouse and then I find out I don't need all the space, so I sublease To someone else. Well see in Genesis chapter 3. What happened was. Is Adam subleased this planet. But he subleased it to the devil. And Jesus tells us what the devil's agenda is. In John 10.10. He says the thief comes to steal. To kill and destroy. And so people look at this world. And they sit there and they say. Why did God create it this way? He didn't. Why did God do this to this world? He didn't. He created this world perfect, but he gave it to a man. And when he gave it to that man, it was leased to him from this time to this time. And that man subleased it, but he subleased it to the devil. And so the devil came in and he brought sin into this world. And when he brought sin into this world, for the first time, all creation began to groan. Because it wasn't created to operate this way. It wasn't created to have the devastation of a storm. It wasn't created to have famine. It wasn't created to have a lack of rain or too much rain. It wasn't created, God created it perfect. In fact, the Bible speaks of how this world groans under the weight of what sin has done for it. Waiting for the day of redemption. So, God's holding in his hand the title deed. And one of the things that God was saying to Adam is, You have access to this for this period of time. There's a beginning and there's an end, there's a start point and there's a conclusion point. And God's holding this. But one of the things you need to know about this scroll is, this scroll was intelligent. In Zechariah chapter five and verses one through four, it says, and then, Zechariah speaking, he says, I turned and I lifted up my eyes. I looked and behold the flying scroll. Now, don't let that begin to get you. But can you imagine being someone that's never seen a screen hanging on a wall before? And all of a sudden, you see a screen for the first time. You've never seen it. Well, to you, it looks like it's suspended in space. To us, we know what it is. It looks like it's flying there. But in there, he begins to describe the scroll. And he says it's about 15 uh, feet, and it's by about 30 feet. And he says, on this scroll is written the curse. And he says, this is the curse that goeth forth over all the earth. See, when you enter into a lease, you sign a document, and the document basically says this, you have a right to this apartment from this period of time to this period of time. But then it begins to write in penalty clauses. It says if during this period of time, you begin to put holes in the wall, you begin to do this, you begin to do that, there's going to be some penalties. And you've got to understand what Adam did, the Bible says that he sinned. He knew exactly what he's doing. He signed the lease. And it says on the back of it, the curse was written. There was nothing that happened from Genesis chapter three on that Adam was unaware of. There was no degree of sin. There was no degree of entry point of what sin would do. And so I get people who, they just, oh God, if God was really a loving God, it wouldn't be like this. God leased it. Adam subleased it. The devil came in and he started a destructive pattern to destroy every evidence of God on this earth. But here's what you need to know. This world is as close as a Christian will ever get to hell. But this world is as close to heaven as a sinner will ever get to heaven. So you gotta understand that, that as far as a Christian, when we wake up and we turn on the news and we see all the disasters that are going on, this is as close to hell as we'll ever get. But for a sinner, this world is as close to heaven as they'll ever get. So when they see a beautiful sunrise, they get a little glimpse of heaven. When they go stand over something majestic in nature, they get a little glimpse of heaven. When they get to see a baby being held for the first time, they get a glimpse of heaven. But this is close as I will ever get to hell. But it's as close as some people will ever get to heaven. Now let's go back to the scene. Why is John crying? Why is the angel questioning What is the dynamic of this? What's going on? See, John's seeing into the future. And he's seeing what this world is going to become. He's seeing the full effect of sin on this world. And as he sees it, he says, it can't keep going. It can't keep going like this. It's got to come to an end. The angels are saying, this has got to come to an end. This world can't keep going like this. And I know exactly what John is talking about. I've held the hand of 17 people when they have took their last breath and left this planet. I don't want to do it again. All 17 of them went to heaven, but never once was it any fun. I don't want to see any more death. I don't want to see anybody else dying of cancer. I don't wanna see another kid that's addicted to drugs. I don't wanna see another marriage that's being torn apart by divorce. I don't wanna see, and you can just put in your list what you don't wanna see. I've seen enough of it in 44 years, standing by people's side. I've seen the pain of sin. I've seen what sin will do. But see, sin compounds. So you get old people and old people. Oh, I wish for the good old days when it would be like that. They're not coming back. The Bible says sin will abound. But there's only one thing that can abound more than sin. It says sin abounds, but grace abounds much more. It's the only thing. But John's looking at this world and he's saying, God, you've got to stop this. You've got to put a, pull the plug. You've got to do it. And so it's at that particular point that they're looking for someone. See, this lease was entered into with Adam, a perfect man. And therefore, the only one who can begin to say the lease is over is another perfect man. But what happened was that Adam was created perfect. But every other person born in this world, because sin is passed down from the Father, that sin is passed down generation upon generation. So the only way that there could be a perfect man in this world was he had to be born of a virgin. So when we celebrate uh, Christmas, it's the only thing, that distinguishes. And they're looking for that in Revelation 5. There's no one in heaven, no one in earth, no one under earth except the lion of the tribe of Judah. Except the root of David. And all of a sudden Jesus comes on and he's gonna open and everything in the book of Revelation from this point on is what happens after Jesus opens the scroll. Now here's my question. This is one of the most dramatic scenes in all of the Bible. Why does it matter to you? I mean, let's just be honest. You're in church today. Some of you, if there'd have been anything else going on, you'd have been anywhere else other than church. But you're in church today. You happen to hear this guy that looks a little bit old and crusty. (laughs) You hear him talk about Revelation. Revelation. What does that mean to you? Why does it matter? I mean, let's say everything that I say is absolutely true. What can you do about it? You can't grab the scroll. You can't open the scroll up. You can't make it go faster. You can't do anything. Why in the world does God want anyone in New Bronzeville's, Texas to know this? I think there's three lessons that God wants. First of all, God wants you to know that the clock is ticking. That this world as we know it, the clock is ticking. That every day the clock ticks. It's just ticking. And there is an end time. This thing's going to end. It's not going to keep going like this. It's going to end. Now, I don't know when that's going to end. Could it end next week? Could it end next year? Could it end in a hundred years? I don't know. You don't know. But here's what I do know. God wants you to know that your clock is ticking. See, the average person in this room is gonna live twenty eight thousand five hundred days. Today, you ticked off one of them. The clock's ticking. Every day, it just ticks. I wish I could take you back nearly 40 plus years ago to a small West Texas community. This West Texas community was just a small place and I had been invited as a young preacher to preach there. It was like every other West Texas little church that I've ever been at. This little church had about 70 people in it. Everybody knew everybody in that church. And everybody knew everything about everybody in that church. It's just a typical small little West Texas church. I'd been invited to speak on Sunday nights, so I'd come in early just to sit in their services to get a feel. Pastors doing a great, great job just talking. But all of a sudden the doors open and someone walks in. It's a young man, he walks in, as he walks in, he finds a seat. But it's a small church, so everyone's looking around and no one recognizes this. Well, this is unusual for that church. I mean, they don't know him in the community, they don't know who he is and everything, and everyone's just sort of looking because in this church you gotta know everybody and you gotta know everything about everybody. That's sort of like the cover charge to get in. But this young man just sits. As this young man begins to sit, pastor begins to preach. Preach is just a solid Bible lesson. But what happens is this. He closes and he begins to give the altar call. But when he gives the altar call, something's happened that I've only seen one other time and 44 years of ministry. The fear of God fell in that place. I'm not talking about someone who just feels bad for their sin. The fear of God fell in that place. An intense fear began to fill in that place. Everyone could feel it. Everyone. People who knew God were repenting. People who had already repented were repenting. And and people who had just repented were repenting. The fear of God hit that place. So the pastor gives the altar call. No one responds. He does something that's uncomfortable, he gives it again, no one responds. He gives it again, no one responds. Everyone can feel that God's doing something. It's tangible. It's not one of those things, well, did you feel that today? Everybody felt it. But here's the thing, no one responded. The next day the pastor and I are sitting in his office and the sirens go off in the community. It's a small West Texas town, and being a small West Texas town, they don't have a fire department. They have a volunteer fire department, and all of a sudden the sirens go off, which means something's happened. Everyone in the community knows something's happened. They just don't know where, and they don't know to who. Well, as a result of that, we're just sitting there, and about an hour later, someone came to the pastor's office and said, did you hear? Well, we had been talking. said, no, we hadn't heard. He said, do you remember that young man that had come into the service? He was a crop duster. He would go across West Texas and he would dust the crops. He said he was flying over and all of a sudden as he was pulling up because they create the wind barriers by planting trees around their fields so all the good soil doesn't get blown away, he said as he was pulling up, his plane stalled and he hit a tree and it exploded, and he died. The pastor and I looked at each other, and we knew. God knew the day before that the clock was ticking. God was doing everything that he could to try to get that young man's attention. Someone says, did he make a decision? I don't know. I pray he did. I pray he felt what we felt and he knew what we knew and he made a decision. And someone says, well, I don't like that because that talks about heaven, but it also talks about hell. Let me just be totally transparent. If you don't want a little bit of Jesus down here, you're not gonna want a lot of Jesus up there. Because heaven's about a lot of Jesus. It's not about a little bit of Jesus. If you can't handle a little bit of Jesus down here, you're not going to handle heaven. It's going to be hell to you. People say, I hear it all the time. Hey, I want to go to heaven so I can see my family. Heaven's not about your family. It's about seeing Jesus. And so there's a lot of people who don't want to go to hell. They just don't want to be with Jesus. But that day, the clock was ticking. See, I don't know where your clock is. But the clock's ticking. The average person's 28,500 days. Some of you are gonna be the under of that. Some of you are gonna be the over. Some of you taking your calculator out and you've already figured out exactly what that means. (laughs) Some of you are playing with house money. Had to give an illustration some of you could relate to. So I'd say, number one, the clock's ticking. Number two, faith isn't going to become easier. It's going to be harder. And if you're not willing to fight for your faith, you will be somebody who used to have faith. And I believe God wants us to know that. That faith isn't an accident. It's something that you have to fight for. But thirdly, In the book of Jude, verse 20. Remember we said that in the last days, problems will go up and faith will go down and anger will go up and love will go down? Jude was writing about the last days and he wrote this in Jude, verse 20. He says, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourself in your faith, And then he said, and waiting thereunto, and keeping yourself in the love of God. I think the third thing that God wants to say to you is if you're going to make it in these last days, then you need everything God has for you. And that means having Jesus as your Lord, but having the Holy Spirit in your life where you're relying upon the Holy Spirit every day and you're utilizing what the Holy Spirit wants to give you, which is a heavenly prayer language, because he says, you'll build yourself up in your most holy faith. In a day when faith is harder than it's ever been, you will be able to keep yourself in faith. But not only that, you will be able to be a person in a world that's gonna get angrier and you're gonna be able to stay in love. So my question is, if the clock's ticking, where are you? See, everyone wants to assume there's another day. I've done this too long. I've stood at the head of too many caskets. The clock's ticking. I watch people who who think being good at church means that they're a person of faith. It's not. You have to fight for your faith. And I've watched people who neglect all the gifts that God has for them. But God wants to give you a gift that can help keep you in your faith and keep you in the love of God. One day, Jesus is gonna take that scroll out of the Father God's hand. And the seven seals on that scroll are gonna begin to be broken. And you have the book of Revelation as it unfolds. But it all starts with chapter five. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now that you just help us. You'd help us to understand who we are in you. I pray today, Father, that everyone in here would understand that every day is an opportunity to know you, to walk with you, to experience you. And Lord, the only thing we have in this world that makes this world better is you. And I pray that in this room, no one will neglect that. The most important choice they make is when they choose you. And I pray that they'll do that today. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one looking around. Today, I want to give you an opportunity to answer three questions. The first question, do you have a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about being a member of a church, my church, this church. I'm not talking about going through confirmation. I'm not talking about going through dedication. I'm not talking about having gone through confirmation. I'm not talking about having been christened. I'm not talking about having been water baptized. I'm saying, do you have a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? If you don't, today's the day. See, the Bible says these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. Second question. Maybe you would say, yeah, I'm a person of faith. But if you're a person of faith, are you close to him? See, there's a lot of people who believe in Jesus. They're not just close to Jesus. Today's the day that you get to ask the question, are you close to him? A third question. If you believe in him and you're close to him, have you ever been filled with the spirit and received your heavenly prayer language that can help you stay in faith and help you be that individual who stays in the love of God? If you haven't, today's the day. So heads are bowed and eyes are closed, no one looking around. Any one of those three areas, you know that I'm talking to you. I wanna pray with you. If you'd like to be a part of that prayer, if you'll just raise your hand wherever you're at. Any one of those three areas, I see that hand, 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 I see that hand. If you haven't raised your hand up to now and you want to be a part, if you'll just raise it right now. If you'll just raise it, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. I see that hand. If you raise your hand, you're the only people looking at me. If you look at me. Jesus loves you so much you've taken a step by raising your hand I want you to know that Jesus is so proud of you but you're going to take another step by praying a prayer and then in just a minute Pastor Don is going to come up here and give you a third step but God loves you so much now let me speak to everyone in this room Church isn't a spectator sport. We've made it one, but it's not. You're either receiving in faith or you're helping others receive in faith. So we're gonna pray a prayer and it's gonna do one of three things. If you don't know Jesus, it's gonna help you to know him. If you know Jesus and you're not close to him, you'll get close. But if you know Jesus and you're close to him and you wanna be filled with the spirit and receive your heavenly prayer language, you are going to receive. But everyone in here is going to pray this prayer because we're going to help them with our faith. If everyone will repeat after me. Heavenly Father, you said in Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 that if I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord that I would be saved. Today I'm doing that. I believe with all my heart that you are my Lord therefore I thank you for saving me and changing my life forever in Jesus name and today Lord I'm asking you to fill me with the Holy Spirit and to give me my heavenly prayer language And I believe that when hands are laid on me, I'll instantly receive the Holy Spirit and receive my heavenly prayer language. I believe that when hands are laid on me, I will instantly receive the Holy Spirit and my heavenly prayer language. In Jesus' name, amen. Don, I'm so proud of you. Thank you for all you do to make heaven bigger and the kingdom of God better. Thanks again for joining us this week. We pray that this message encouraged and inspired you. If you wanna find out how you can be a part of Tree of Life, just go to our website, treeoflifechurch.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend.